Hello and welcome to Mark Rose Podcast. Excited to be in your ear and I hope that my voice finds you well wherever you're at in the world. In this sort of busyness, you know, I listen to podcasts while I'm doing things generally. And it's a great way for me to consume information while I'm doing other things. Um, and I, I think so often I don't arrive at the place, at the podcast, at the thing, and just take a deep breath. And, and I think we should do that collectively right now. If you're driving, don't close your eyes. But if you're not, close your eyes. And just take a deep breath. And just acknowledge yourself for doing the work, for consuming information that improves your relational health, that that you show up for yourself. This is evidence in the self-love deposit bank. It says, I am worthy of self-improvement, of putting deposits within myself. So I acknowledge you for that. And I, I really want to make sure that you acknowledge yourself for that. We're in... Uh, the time when, as the economy sort of continues to shrink and, you know, businesses close and all the things that are occurring, it's like, what can we do in this space, you know, to transform ourselves, to give birth perhaps to a different business, to a possibility of starting our own business? And, you know, when economies start to uh, shrink, and jobs start to be lost, it's a big birthplace of entrepreneurship, of dreams, of like creating whatever we can. And it comes from that, I need to survive hustle feeling. And I'm like, yes, let's dig into that. But let's not, you know, no, no matter where you might be at in listening to this, you might have the itch to be creating something or something different or a shift in your job or something that you're just craving more. And you don't have to wait till you have no choice but to create more, but you can do it just from this one feeling of, I am somewhat dissatisfied. How do I move towards more expansion? And you can do that while you're still appreciating what you have. So this isn't about like, it's not enough. No one's ever happy these days with what they have. I'm like, look, you're, we're not going to shame the desire to expand. We're not going to shame the desire to want more. You'll never hear that from me but you got to create more. It's not just like, hey, show up on my door and give me everything I want. It's like become the kind of person that those things show up for. That's a big difference. So I'm excited for the guests that we brought on today. It's, she's so funny. You're just going to enjoy it. She's a realness, uh, just a fantastic human. I've been wanting to have her on the podcast for a long time. She's such a great uh, advisor, a great coach, a great human. And before we get into that, make sure that wherever you listen to this, please go give it a five-star review, a written review. If this podcast floats your boat, you like it, you think other people will benefit from it, please share it, tag me. I'll do my best to, if I can catch it in my notifications, to share it too. And I just so appreciate any support you can give. And I'm just excited for you to be part of these conversations, to be able to learn and grow with you, alongside you. I wanted to take a quick break in this episode to talk to you about the greatest struggle that people have in dating, and that is asking the right questions. And not just the right questions, but asking hard questions, questions that determine if someone wants what you want, what you are, what your relationship status is, that 
that deepen vulnerability and intimacy. And ultimately, asking the right questions allows you to get to know someone on a deeper level, gets to know their values, get to know whether they're a good fit for you. Now, I recognize that when I get feedback on asking questions, people say, that's too hard to ask, or it's too soon to ask that, or whatever the excuse or thought or feeling or fear might be. And so I thought, shit, let me ask the hard questions. And that's why I created Create the Love Cards. Create the Love Cards is created with such intention for you to deepen your conversations on dating. And because of that, the deck, when you open it up, it fits two smartphones. So you can put your phone inside the box as you take the cards out so you can both be present. Now, if someone doesn't want to play, I'm like, swipe left. That's a red flag. Like, who doesn't want to play a game? Second, I've got it in four sections. So we've got foreplay, diving deeper, too much information, because would it be a deck from me if it didn't have TMI, and building chemistry. So there's four sections for you to explore the landscapes of one another and see if you're a good fit. If you want to have deeper conversations, if you want to take this deck of cards on your dates or on your date night, or you think this would be a good gift for a couple, then go to createthelove.com slash cards. I put them at a really accessible price of 30 bucks, and I can't wait for you to check them out. They've received rave reviews. People are loving them. I have actually one friend who took them out on its second date with someone that she was hitting it off with. And after she got the answers to the questions that the deck provided, she realized that this person was not a good fit and swiped left and now is in a relationship with someone she loves. So that's what dating is about, is it's about filtering. And also my intention is to support you along that journey to not just finding the person that you want, but if you're with them, asking the questions that help create and deepen intimacy. So go to createthelove.com slash cards and grab a set now. So without further ado, here is the amazing Hilarious, fun, creative, smart, Ashley Stahl. Today, we have someone who I've been trying to stalk into being on my podcast for a while. It has been a game of cat and mouse, and she's finally here today. Ashley Stahl, welcome to the podcast. You know, Mark, what is it that Oscar Wilde says? Like a woman without mystery is is not a woman that's interesting at all. I don't know. There's some sort of <laughs> about it. I keep on. <laughs> I like that. That's really that is very telling, actually. Yeah. And I feel like this. Uh, you know, you are a woman of mystery. I and, try. You know, it's a. I, I I feel like what you share with the world, your your gifts, are things we often don't. You know, we often don't consider our relationship to our purpose. We don't consider our relationship to uh, the work we do in the world. And I know that you have a beautiful story that gets to the place where we're like, that's a nice ending. And then, of course, you know, the story continues. And I'm sure you'll have more uh, books be born through your lifetime. Mm -hmm. But you just created a book about this story. Yeah, I took about 10 years of my life's work and reflections and my understanding and data from serving hundreds of thousands of job seekers to figure out what it really looks like to figure out where you belong in the workforce. I think when you're an entrepreneur, there's something, there's different pains that you face. It's more about creating something that doesn't exist out of thin air versus mm-hmm. in the workforce. There's many different choices and it's more of a matching game, kind of like dating. You 
you had said to me before dating is sorting and so is job hunting, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, when when we feel or we operate from a scarce perspective, which is not to say that there aren't times when there are less jobs or less people, it, that idea that the more work you do, the pool gets smaller, like the better you get, which I would imagine that's true in some sense of the workplace. Like, you know, the better you get, you might have more choices of work, but where you want to work gets uh, finer. Yeah, absolutely. And your purpose moves. And I think one of the biggest misunderstandings we're taught as kids is that we are supposed to be born with some sort of innate sense of where we belong in our career, but who we are changes. And with every new belief we have about who we are or what we want or what we're interested in this, as you would know, it's like this old version of us kind of dies over time. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest mistakes I think people make in their career is holding on to an old version of themselves in their career that doesn't work anymore. And that's why even in everything I've written in my book, the premise is to really know the core of who you are, this kind of piece of you that tends to be unchanging, your natural gifts, your core skill set versus following your passions and interests, which are interesting and valuable, but definitely not not always productive when it comes to a career because I love, you know, I have a big interest in cupcakes and fashion, but I'd be a horrendous baker and I really have a mediocre fashion sense if I get honest with myself. (laughs) It's not a career path for me, but you're absolutely right. The options do become smaller when you get clearer and yet we are in uh, an infinite workforce where every five years, uh, one of your skill sets becomes obsolete for the workforce mm. in the time we're in. And with AI, there's you know a percentage of jobs that haven't even developed as titles yet that are being created right now. And I, re- I read a quote recently. It said that some decades, it, it takes some decades for a week to happen, but in some weeks, decades happen. Mm. Amen. 2020, I feel. Is yeah. That- what a doozy is 2020. <laughs> right? Fucking hell. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Let's make it the year that we reorganize all things, including, yeah. um, you know, that perspective about career is fascinating because I think when I look at what is the, the sort of transition of narrative about career mm-hmm. is like, I look at like my dad's job and then like my grandfather's and, and, and I, speaking in a more like, traditional family role sense, which is what we have observed when we look up the family tree, is that people, though in general, stayed in careers for their whole lifetime. They started at, let's say, 18 or 20 or 24 or whatever it is. And then the golden handcuffs, you know, they stayed in their pensions there and their or whatever it is. And now, and I, I forget the data, but it's something like people in this time, you know, in their, let's say, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, will transition careers like five times or something. And so I think we're stuck in between this old model, which I think is actually interesting how it parallels relationally a bit too, that you stay in something even if it's not fulfilling or anything because there's security there. And then now we are like, wait, I can actually love the way I want to love. I can uh, have a fulfilling life. I can have a fulfilling career. Um, have you noticed that? Is there, uh, am I accurate in sort of what I'm thinking? Yeah. About? Well, the, the most recent data I read is that the average person, whatever that really means, who is the average person, mm-hmm. but they transition careers 13 times in their lifetime. And I think with events, like, yeah, which is great news, to be honest. And right. 
What's so interesting to me about the workforce and what has really informed my work is that in the same way you would look at a client, Mark, that says, I want my first stab at meeting someone to be the person I'm marrying. Like that's pretty unicorn in our society, but that's what people are holding as a standard in their career. That's their expectation. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's really interesting because for me, I've seen people who are succeeding to according to what that means for them and fulfillment uh, and people who are not. And the people who are succeeding are usually just more nimble in the market, willing to fail faster. I walked into Pixar years ago and I saw a sign on the wall and it said, fail faster. And that sat with me forever. I like because, that. Yeah, because that's what your career is. And I think one of the biggest mistakes I see job seekers make is they hold their career way too heavily. They overthink it. I had a client who got a job offer in Berlin and, and he says to me, you know, should I take it? And I'm like, well, how does it feel? You know, tune into your body, which is something that we can do in all areas of our life that most people don't tune into. They're in their mind. I can't tell you how many people have said, I got the perfect job offer, but there's something missing. And I'm like, okay, well, how does it feel in your body? Horrible. I'm like, okay, so your mind loves it. It's checking boxes, but you don't want this job. And what people aren't really getting is that that's not a sustainable strategy. Eventually, who you are is going to win who you are always wins. It's going to come through and you're not going to be able to hold on to the job anymore because you're either going to be miserable. It's going to hurt your performance. You can't sustain it. But as for the guy who got the job offer in Berlin, we kind of tuned in and he said, it feels really good to take. It feels like an experience. I think I might love it. And that's the thing with clarity. When people say, you know, I don't have clarity. I'm like, no, you're just not connected to yourself because Mm. when you have clarity, it becomes a lot easier. When you're connected to yourself, clarity becomes a lot easier. You get clear on what you like, what you're interested in. And then the workforce just becomes a matching game of, you know, is what I'm interested in and being connected to myself true for this job? Are my skill sets that I value and have aligned with this job? It becomes a lot clearer and a lot less foggy. And so as for that client, I said to him, take the job and uh, it's not a marriage and you get to leave if it's lame. If you don't like it, go. And so he packed up his life from San Francisco. He moved to Berlin and six months in, I contacted him. How's the job? He said, it's really good. A year later, he contacted me and said, I'm over it. And I said, you're human, like come home. And I mean, he's probably out about $5,000 for like inconvenience of like moving his stuff. He ended up getting paid more from that job anyway. He moved Mm -hmm. back and got a new job offer with the tools he learned six weeks later. And it was kind of just like an experience and it, it, it didn't push him backward. It moved him forward. And I think that... In the same way with relationships, and I, I love that I'm going here with you, Mark, because I'm like, job hunting is dating. It's really, <laughs> it is, yeah. But people think they're moving forward, you know, like if you're with the wrong person, but you're getting married, it's like people have this perception like they're moving forward in their life and they just push it down if it's not the right thing. It's the same thing with jobs. Like I'm moving forward because I'm moving up on the ladder, but it's like you're moving backwards if you can't sustain it and you're not happy. Um, And so people who are nimble in the workplace, I think, and quick to fail fast and realize that things don't work for them, willing to be experimental, you can't get to right until you've sat in wrong. And that's why clarity is not something you can think up. It's something you have to engage in to get to it. And engagement can look like a lot of things. It can look like taking a class, listening to a podcast like this one, um, hiring a mentor. It can also look like conversations with friends. Um, and it can be as serious as taking a job offer and just mm. trying something on. But ultimately, the belief that your career has to be a heavy commitment is, I think, what's getting people the most stuck, if anything. Well, and it's interesting if you're not 
acknowledging the way you feel about your work or your purpose or your relationships or whatever it is, just not acknowledging the truth of how you feel it denies your own ability to find clarity. You know, it's like that denial of how you feel means you're not connected to reality. And then maybe you're pretending that you like this job or you're pretending. But as you said, the real you comes out. And that's that when you're not acknowledging the real sense of self that's in there, you start to get sick, you start to eat poorly, you start to do all these different things to cope with the pain of the truth. And when we're talking in a sense of career, gosh, it's so easy for so many reasons to stay in a career, to stay in a job, not to mention the um, amount of security, like maybe needing to take care of family, things like that. And and so this, uh, you know, is not a lack of acknowledgement of that, but it's saying, okay, and great. Yeah. We know that's true, but don't make that the reason you don't do the thing. Don't make that the reason, because you fail before you start. So you don't yeah. even get to do the fail fast. You just don't, I don't know. Right. Like, don't Which is the, the actual um, opposite of, you know, I, I think people talk about failure that it really is just, it's not, I don't know, it's not doing something and failing. I think it's just not trying, but yeah. yeah. You know, there's a really cool field of research called job crafting. And what I love about it is that it's really just designed to turn a bland job into a grand job. Whoa, hello. And, you know, and it's really all about taking where you're working, looking at your core skill set, which was something that I talked to you about, is really getting clear on what is your core skill set. Taking that core skill set and finding opportunities in your current job, even if it's not working for you, to take initiative, take on projects that kind of feed into the future self you want to be in the workforce so that when you're writing your resume, which I think is a very misunderstood document, people usually will write it and think to themselves, I need to regurgitate and fit everything I've ever done when <laughs> it's like, no, this is a marketing document highlighting your highlight relevant experience. And when you look at your relevant experience, when you job craft, when you go up to your boss and say, hey, there's this new project or, hey, I'm aware of what your agenda is here. And there's this thing I think I could do on my side, you know, in my extra time that would be really powerful. Are you open to me doing it? I'd be so enthusiastic to take that on. When you offer that, you are job crafting, you are adding content to your resume that's more relevant for who you want to be versus who you've been. And when you can carry the thread of your past into your future, into something more intentional, more aligned with your core skill set. You're using a job that may not be inspiring and you're fueling it into your next step. I love that. I remember listening to a talk from Lisa Nichols and she said, uh, someone said, should I just leave my job and start my dream? And she said, no, make your current work an investor in your future. See it as an investor. You know, don't just like quit your job that pays your bills so you can be a starving person who's then like start with security. And I remember that because I was at the time you know, doing the transition from the job I had to becoming an entrepreneur. And it's what I needed to feel good about still going to work, you know, still being like, okay, actually this is, and so I did what you said. I, I went to my manager and I'm like, Hey, I want to take this program in positive psychology. Here's how it benefits the workplace, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, okay, we'll help invest in that. And then, so they've helped paid for my development to then leave. And Also, I started to take on projects like consulting projects within the organization and training projects to develop my skill set. So I did what you were saying. I like that job crafting and it was a bland job and it did 
feel grand because I was doing new things. And it was actually contributing and developing me to my sneaky future that yeah. my manager knew I was moving towards. But, you know, the organization itself was like, these all make so much sense. Yes, Mark should be doing these things. Yeah. And and so I, I think we we worry that we'll get a no, so we never try. And that's true of all things that are expansive. Yeah. And it's, a, it's, it's because, you know, I think in a lot of ways, we think that the failure is reflective of our worth, not seeing that it's actually the doing that creates worth. It's the attempt. If you put your worth in the rejection, then you'll always be trying to dance for other people. But if you put your worth in the taking of action, then you're winning always. You don't lose. If someone says, no, you can't have this job or we're not going to offer or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. At least you have more valuable information. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes back to the idea of just holding things lightly. But it's fun to hear that you job crafted. I love the term. It's like feels very Star Wars like. It did. It did. I feel very. uh, What is that term? Bespoke. It felt like I was creating a bespoke job. I didn't even know what that meant until some hipster said it to me and I had to Google it. Oh, my gosh. Love hipsters. Wish I was one. I know. I'm not cool enough to be one. Okay. (laughs) So. How, because, you know, I always think that people really, when they get into the work like you're doing, I love that saying, like you you turn your mess into your message. So you must have a mess below, not that I'm digging, but is there a mess? Is there a mess below this? Is there like, is this rooted in a passion that was born from your own uh, bland experience or or whatever it might be? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I always had an interest in people and I was really impacted by 9-11. Uh, I had family on the East Coast and they survived running out of the Twin Towers. Wow. Yeah. And so I I remember growing up with the news always on. My family was always arguing about politics. Like my dad's super de- democratic. My uncles are very Republican. So it's like it was like a whole thing. And whether or not I actually was educated on it, I seemed to have an opinion on it as a kid. And so it's kind of natural when I went to college and 9-11 happened, it really influenced my choice to study government and people. And I had this moment in 2008 where I was in an alleyway. I was I was living in France on a study abroad and I saw this man hit his wife across the face. And it was like, he was screaming at her. I, I speak French. It was not French. It wasn't English. I didn't know what language it was. I was trying to look for a police officer. She had a baby crying in her arms. She looked at me in the eye in this moment. And I did something that I think a lot of people do in these high impact moments in our lives. I made a career decision about her. It was like, I wanted to help her. I wanted to do save her. Like I wanted to find a police officer, but instead I saw that and I just made a career decision about her. And my decision was, I want to protect people. And the highest level of protecting people I knew was in national security, especially because I'd already been watching politics. So that sent me onto this crazy path of learning foreign languages and doing everything I could going to grad school to work in counterterrorism. And, you know, I wanted to be a part of the effort to... Yeah. And so a lot of my early 20s was in counterterrorism and national security. But in order to get there when I graduated, it was the recession. And that's why when we talk about there's 13 different career transitions, I think there's a lot more for millennials. And there's going to be a lot more permission from recruiters to Gen Z because now they're being hit with COVID. Um, And so I think that recruiters really do understand, I think, on the most part, social experiences that we've had as a collective, and they understand how that's going to appear on resumes. So I do think there's a little more permission for a little more hopping right now, given the environment that we're in, layoffs and the unemployment. 
But in my case, I couldn't get a job to save my life during the recession. I was on my parents' couch for months and I finally bought into the myth that I just had to take what I could get. And what that looked like for me was an admin job, um, making minimum wage at an ad agency. And I probably look crazy there because at night I would take these Arabic classes at UCLA and I would practice my little Arabic characters on my lunch break. And people were like, what is she doing? You know, like I was like an event assistant and I was just (laughs) trying to get into DC. And one day everything changed for me. I called my university and said, hey, do you have a list of alumni who have graduated and moved to DC? Because that city is just very one-dimensional. It's all politics. Mm-hmm. So I ended up cold calling 2,000 people from that list, looking like an idiot, the first like 200 calls at least. You know, most people hang up. I mean, imagine calling like an intelligence person that lends itself to privacy even more than a random cold call. So I got so much rejection, but eventually I got confidence, like 10 or 15 people started helping me. And I I just quit my job, moved to DC and got three job offers in six weeks, totally changed my life, went from an assistant making minimum wage to a management position at the Pentagon and tripled my salary, which I mean, isn't the hardest thing when you're making minimum wage, but I (laughs) sounds good. I like the statistical interpretation. Triple. Tripled, you know, you work in marketing, you need to like remember these terms, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So you got a job at the Pentagon. Tell us about yeah. that. That sounds, I mean, intense. Yeah, that's kind of what I think that journey was what inspired me to write a book in the first place was that there was so much that happened there that I felt like I needed to process and I didn't have the emotional tools or understanding of myself to actually process it. And it was really interesting because as I've been writing U-Turn, it's like I've been grieving this version of me that I kind of abruptly left. But it opens up with my first day at the Pentagon. And I ended up being kind of led around by a guy who pointed me to a desk And he said, this is your desk. And it was just a chair. There was no desk. And I just had a laptop. And I remember saying to him, like, I need a desk. Like, where is this? Are you just joking? I thought I was on candid camera. Literally, I was like, this is gotta be. And he was like, girl, I was working on Afghanistan. I was leading a program helping senior officials from the US deploy to Afghanistan when it was like a total bloodbath over there. And NATO was withdrawing from it in 2011. So It's neither here nor there. All of it said, he said, this is like Afghanistan. You need to work for your desk if you're a girl here. Whoa. That rocked me. I found out later he's making like almost 20 grand a year for the same job more than I was. And I had the same qualifications as him. All of it said it was a contractor job. I wasn't uh, on government. Government payroll is very uh, uniform and structured. But I never forgot that moment. It was one of many moments that I had to process. I will say my time in counterterrorism, most of the people there were were lovely. Like, I don't know if that's yeah. a weird sentence, <laughs> but the people were lovely and they were really respectful. I just had this one negative experience. But what was really going on under me, which I think is going on with so many people and what sparked me to write this book was that I think so many of us do have that job that we worked really hard to get that path that we thought that we wanted only to find out it's not the path that we want. It's not the yeah. place we want to go. And either people are brave and they go on the journey of getting that answer, which I've found is not in your interest as much as it is in your core skill set. So I was willing to kind of leave that job and do a lot of reflection, come home to Los Angeles. I took another job in national security in LA and I really sat with this. And that was what got me to start my coaching business because the one thing I knew how to do well was get a job and get job offers. And all my friends were unemployed. So that was what inspired my 
business as a career expert, my my blog with Forbes and my courses and all that jazz. Wow. What a birth of so many things. I know. It's really a lot. I, I wonder, I'm like, is there a way to cleanly tell this story? Because it's really, it is kind of a mess, like you were saying. It's like, and I think that's what happens for a lot of people. And yet it will never cease to amaze me how many people will hold on to the wrong career because of the time they took to get there. It's like, yeah, you might have five years in medical school or three years as a lawyer, but guess what? You've got like decades left in your career. Even if somebody is listening around is 50 years old, you could easily have two and a half decades left of a career. People are retiring later, according to the research right now. So, you know, it's like, well, do you really want to hold on to those five years? Because your degree, your studies are here to serve you. You're not here to serve it. And people are literally a prisoner by their own education and debt or degree that they invested in. Yeah, I think that's an interesting part about uh, when we invest in something or we like make a choice and then we realize it's not what we wanted. I mean, that's the valuable information that comes from trying something, you know, and I and that's true of dating. That's true of so many things. And I, you know, I, I remember when my relationship ended last year, I remember writing uh, post about it and writing, sometimes the dream you have is not the dream you had. Yeah. And it was about that, like what I thought was going to occur is not what was occurring out of my life. And that's true of like, I always dreamt of having a vintage Bronco. I love Mm. old vintage cars. I bought a vintage Bronco. I did not like it. I was like, (laughs) I got to get rid of this thing. And it was like a childhood dream realized. Yeah. But then I realized it wasn't actually my dream, which was really interesting. Yeah, what you experience is exactly probably what Britney Spears experienced when she shaves her head and Lindsay Lohan (laughs) loses her mind. It's like this uh, hangover from what you thought your life was going to be. It's and that's the thing with goals: we just chase feelings, right? We think Mm -hmm. it's going to feel something, we chase it, and then we have a meltdown when it's not there. And that's why, to me, in the work I've done with people all over the world, it's like let's come home to what gifts you naturally have because there are many versions of yourself that you could be being in the workforce using these gifts. Like, yeah. um, And there's a concept that I have uh, that I write about called core nature. Mm -hmm. And it's in the first part of, of my book. And it's all about the energy you bring to the room, the adjectives people would use to describe you. And even that itself is a basis for a career. Like, obviously my core nature is quite chatty. Mm-hmm. And you I know, similar, similar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of goofy, like is what people tell me. So when I think about that, I'm like, okay, that core nature could lend itself to many careers. Mm-hmm. You know, who do I know that's like that in their career and enjoying themselves? And from there, what is my core skill set? Because I can use that to filter through my options. Mm, I love that, that idea of get to like, how do you feel when you're with the people you love the most, when you feel Mm -hmm. the safest, when you feel like you're just you, and then Mm -hmm. finding people who are being paid to do something like that, to be that. It's such a different way of thinking about it than when, you know, I went to a career fair in high school and university and you're like, yeah, yeah, I remember the like chartered accountant table and they're like, whatever. And I'm like, Oh, so is this where I go to sleep? This is, is this where I go to be bored? Is this where, no offense if you're an accountant listening, but you know, for me, accounting was, I did an undergrad in finance, which I, it was awful. I don't even, I did it because I was taught that you're supposed yeah. to get a job that makes money so you can be a good provider and not realizing, no, you should really enjoy your work. 
Yeah. And it, and it doesn't have to be about money. Yeah. Oh, really? I thought my my worth lived in my ability to provide, you know? And I do think we need to manage expectations because people, I think, are holding the enjoyment standard so high that they're actually mm-hmm. dismissing work that is really good for them. I actually tell people um, to do an exercise where they can make quadrants on a piece of paper and they can put good at and not good at on the top and then like and don't like on the bottom. And the things you're not good at and you don't like, I always say, if you're spending 10% or less of your time doing that, you're good because every job kind of requires you to pull your sleeves up and do something that's not for fun for you, you know? And then I would say the zone of growth, that zone where you're not good at, but you like it, maybe that's 10 or 20% of your time. You're growing, you're, you're honing. But I think you should be in your core skill set. And I've identified 10 of them, uh, at least 60% of the time. Whatever you're doing should be growing that. And I think this, this concept answers the question for people of, should I stay or should I go? Because my answer is always, are you honing your skill set even further? Are you growing it? Or have you exhausted the opportunity to grow this skill set you're carrying with you throughout your career? I love these parallels because when I was in a relationship, I was thinking about leaving. I remember asking myself, do I have more to learn here? Yeah. And I did. So I stayed and I learned a lot more. And, you know, so I love that concept of bringing it to the workplace. So, as we sort of, so now you're writing for Forbes, you're doing all the things, you're back in LA and how does the, so are you cultivating, like in your book, do you walk through, I'm, I guess you probably do yeah. walk through strategies as to how, how do you, how do you get us out of this mess? Actually? Yeah. Please. Well, the, the U-Turn book has an 11 step roadmap. It's 12 chapters and 11 of them each have one point. And the point that I probably could kind of hand over to anybody listening who's taking notes right now for themselves, whether they feel like something's missing in their career or they feel like they might have a better option is just around core skill set, which is just one of 11 steps on this roadmap. And I talked about core nature. That's something I expand on a lot. But these 10 core skill sets, I can outline them for anybody listening yeah. who wants to kind of write them down. So the first one's innovation. Uh, this is for the intrapreneur or the entrepreneur. And when you think about all 10 core skill sets I go through, you want to think about it like you might have one or two or three, but you want to think about which one you truly lead with. And usually it's the one that's obvious for you, but maybe not so obvious for other people. And that's why people miss it. They don't realize like this is a skill set because they think it's so obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, you also know what your core skill set is when you're turning weird jobs into it. Like my first job was in a preschool cafeteria, which is totally, I mean, picture that. Like, I don't even know. Yeah. What do, you serve? what do you serve at a preschool cafeteria? There's a lot of like canned green beans. Oh, gross. Yeah. yeah. This was not approved by organic. FDA, I don't know. No. Yeah. It probably yeah. was approved by the FDA, but not approved by actual nutrition. <laughs> yeah. I do think there was one morning where it was like fruity pebbles, but oh. all of it said, I mean, I do. Anyways. Pebbles, but um, <laughs> I, I turned that job. My core skill set is words, which I'll go through as number three. I would turn any job into an opportunity to use words. If you put me at In-N-Out flipping burgers, I'd be like finding a way to market, you know, edit their marketing materials. So (laughs) you kind of know. And and at the preschool, I ended up saying to them, hey, like I can edit that, you know, there's a typo on your flyer. And from there on out, they had me being the eagle eye of the preschool at 16 saying, can you edit our flyers? Always been good at words. And so 
it's kind of like, you know what your core skill set is because it comes out of you, whether you want it to or not. Mm -hmm. And one really good question to ask people as you're considering these 10 I go through is when have you seen me at my best? Because what's going to happen is people are going to, and I like to text people that question. I recommend texting because you can read what they say, really process it. When have you seen me at my best? Because here's what happens. People are going to tell you about things you don't even know. If you ask your mom, you want to ask people close to you and then some people you're comfortable asking that are not so close to you. And especially as it relates to work, when have you seen me at my best at my work or in my life? And you'll just notice that people will share things. And then you want to ask yourself, what of these core skill sets am I using based on the feedback people are giving me? So like I said, number one is innovation. You really want to think of each one as an energy field. So the innovator is highly creative. They're turning creativity into money. They're the intrapreneur, the highly creative person within a company. Maybe they have a book of business on their own. Maybe they're the second in command at some point, or they're the entrepreneur creating something out of thin air, but they're definitely a creative self-starter. And then the second core skill set is building. And you, again, want to think about this as an energy field. So you could be literally building like a construction worker, or you could be building like a website designer or developer. It's just an energy of putting pieces together, um, whether it's physically with your hands or with your eyes on a computer screen you're building. Um, and the number three is words, which is mine. And one point that I want to make as everybody's writing all of this down is to remember that there's a very big difference harnessing a core skill set when you're an introvert versus an extrovert. Mm. And I know that, you know, there's a whole body of research around ambiverts, but I do feel that people tend to lead with one it's or the other. Ambivert. Is that both? It's like somewhere between, yeah, where like you, you're social, but then you need a second to recharge. But I feel like, no, you, you, you might lean a little more like 40% one, 60% the other, but you still lead with one. And I think knowing where you lead is key with these skill sets, because if number three is words and I'm an introvert, that's going to look maybe more like a career that's more based on writing or a little more individual. But if I'm an extrovert, that might look more like a speaker, you know, or somebody who's doing business development and sales using words to turn it into money for a company. So it's important people kind of ask themselves as they look at these core skill sets, which version of this one am I? Am I the introverted version or the extroverted version? Um, Because that will lend itself to many different types of jobs out there. Uh, The fourth one is motion. This could be anything from a tour guide who is on their feet all day to a, you know, fitness person who is doing physical training sessions, you know, whatever have you, you're in motion. And then number five is service. So this is anything from the supporter to the nurse to the humanitarian you know, when you're a service person, you're a helper. And I do like this one because I find that this one is a good reminder of a, of a um, distinction between being wounded or being inspired. You know, like there's a lot of supporters that are like people pleaser givers and it's just coming codependent. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, they think they're a a service core skill set, but I'm like, no, that's just how you learn to cope in the world. You're actually words. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I think the introverted, extroverted distinction and also, you know, the wounded or inspired distinction is very important to say, does this skill set, is this actually a skill set or is this just a way that I'm being in the world because I'm scared in some way or I have trauma I haven't processed? Yeah, that's Um, a great question because I think it comes from, uh, do you get your validation from it? Is that where you source your worth or does it leave you, do you feel energized engaging in it? which that could be a tough distinction, of course, because if someone's wounded, they're like, yeah, I get totally energized from it. And it's like, 
Okay, but no, you get don't. validated from it. Yeah. Right. And if you yeah. don't, if your service is not appreciated, do you then feel deflated? Yeah, exactly. And I like to stop at the service one particularly for that because it's such an easy one to see the wounding versus inspiration compared mm-hmm. perhaps to some other ones. I mean, I've had clients who are artists because their dad was an artist that was famous and they want to be in it, but it's not actually who they are. Um, and they're not thriving at it. And I think that's what a lot of people are doing. They're overriding their natural skill set with something else and that they're tired. Their body tells them it's not working. So mm. uh, number six is coordination. Like, bless these people. Like, I have none of that. So the <laughs> event coordinator who makes things move, you know, on time. Oh, yeah. I'm not that. Thank oh, God yeah. for those people. They are Thank my God. favorite. I know they're just hurting the cats and they're both of us, the cats, you know, Yeah, trying to get by. (laughs) We are both really annoying to them and make their job so much more exciting. I know, right? We keep the variety going. So, I mean, this could be an operations person, a project manager, a program manager. All of these are titles of people that I would see with the coordination skill set. The seventh one is analysis. It's interesting. This was this is not my primary skill set. It's not my secondary skill set. People often ask, does the secondary one matter? Not nearly as much as the first one. Just figure out what your primary one is. But I had to have a career in counterterrorism with analysis. There's some level of that in intelligence. And I was really overriding who I am to be able to do a good job at that. Looking back, I kind of like pat my little self on the back. I'm like, wow, I can't believe I like got by in that thing because mm-hmm. it's so counterintuitive for how I am. So this could be anything from a researcher to an academic to an economist. You can argue a therapist would be that. I think therapists usually reside a little bit more in words and service, but they do have some level of analysis. It really depends on the person. And that's why, you know, if you go to a, if you go to 10 therapists, one might lead with words and have the right words to say to you. One's core skill set could be analysis and really see something in a t- completely different way. We're pulling on all of these core skill sets to get by in life, but we certainly do lead with one and that's our magic. So mm. the eighth one is numbers, which, you know, also bless those people because that's so hard mm. for me. Like math, I can't believe I was a math tutor in high school and I still am like, oh my gosh, poor people that got my math tutoring. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did a finance degree. I know what you mean. Yeah. I'm good at numbers, but I don't enjoy numbers. Yeah, I'm bo- I'm bad and I can't, I don't have a good time. It's, it's just a horrible combo. But I mean, that one's pretty straightforward. You know, it's like your accountant, your investment banker, whatever have you. And then technology, you know, the genius bar at Apple, everything from them to the AI people who are creating some sort of artificial intelligence right now. They're probably also innovation as a skill set. You can kind of also look at what your primary skill set is and your secondary was one is and what that means for some of the things you can create. Mm. Like, for example, if motion is your core skill set and innovation is, you could be a fitness influencer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you love fitness and you also are highly innovative. So, um, and then number 10 is beauty. And I, I obviously love this one to me, best for last. I, th- these are the people that make art of the world around us. It's mm-hmm. natural for them. Everything they touch is pretty. Um, one of my good friends, Nicole, she throws little dinner parties and it's almost like, how did you put this to life? Like, how did you have a vision for this level of beauty? And she can't help herself and she's always put together and it's just so natural for her to be this way. And it could be anything from the makeup artist to, you know, somebody like her, an interior designer. Um, but those are the 10. Wow. Those are all really cool. And I think, uh, for anyone listening, uh, they offer some clarity as to, okay, now I've broken down my skill set. then what? 
you know, mm-hmm. then what? And so what do you do once you, you know, once you sort of, I guess, get an idea of what do you do, like your top three or how does it work? Yeah, I would say you pick your primary one and you can collect feedback from that question. When have you seen me at my best? And then you kind of take a look at like, what, when have they seen me at my best? What are the skills I'm using? Does it resonate for me? Maybe people aren't like seeing the truth of you and that's for you to decide. Um, but ultimately you want to connect to the primary skill set and you want to ask yourself who is out there in the world using this skill set. And there'll be some obvious roles, like obviously an innovator could be somebody who is an entrepreneur. Obviously, a builder could be somebody who's a construction worker. So there's the obvious ones. Mm-hmm. Words people can obviously be sales and business development people. But when I really tune into my primary core skill set, which anybody can do, I'm like, man, words people. And then I think about my core nature who are kind of like chatty and funny and goofy. Like, man, they do well at closing business deals. They're good talent agents. They're schmoozing, you know, like they're really good real estate agents. Like, and, and from there, I think what I go through in the book is being able to take your core skill set and pair it with your interests and really discern what's an interest versus what's something you can create your career based on. Because there's a very big difference in, you know, being motivated by something like with an interest versus dedicated to it. Mm. You know, it's like excitement runs out, the motivation runs out, passion and dedication that doesn't. And so there's a lot of work that I try to do around figuring out what passion to pair your core skill set with. But I really see industries and passions. Like, for example, if you love film, that's the backdrop of your career. That's the background. Because let's face it, like I love five-star hotels, but I don't want to be the chef in it or the janitor. Like I don't have those skills, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you want to kind of ask yourself, what's the backdrop I want to be in? That's relevant. But that's like 25% of the real equation. I think 75% of it is your core skill set. So really starting to have conversations. That's another tip you were saying. What do people do? I recommend people start, if you want to have more clarity, have more conversations, start talking to people who you think are using the core skill set that you have. Look on LinkedIn, do an advanced search, type in some titles that you think are associated with your core skill set. Do the advanced search to type in your postal code if, if you want to look for a job within reach of your home and you're not remote working. From there, look at people's profiles, start to take note. What are different ways that they've expressed their skill set? Have they deviated from it? Are they all over the place? Or have they found many different job titles that align with harnessing their skill set? If you don't know what they're doing, Google their job title, you'll find a job posting that will teach you how they're using their energy. Because here's the distinction of all distinctions is what you do in your career. That's your skill set. That's your job title. That's how you use your energy during the day. And then there's, because each of these skill sets, they point to a list of responsibilities in your work pretty much. Mm-hmm. Once you your title. But then there's how you do it. And according to research, 50% of people have left their jobs because they don't like their boss. So what that tells us is that how your job looks, who's there, things that are separate from the actual responsibilities matter pretty much as much as the other piece of the equation, which is what you're doing. And And I think how you're doing things comes back down to your core values, the principles you hold dearly? Do you hold balance very dearly? Um, I had a a client who's a lawyer and there's a lot about her core skill set, her core nature and all of the work that I kind of do in the book that I was like, dang, you know, lawyer is a viable option for her. I wonder where the disconnect is. And when we got to her core values, which is something I always do, I always try to get to the top five people have. And balance, family, all of these things were coming out as her non-negotiable principles she wants to live her life by. 
And that was when the light went off. It was like, oh, well, you're not meant to be a mergers and acquisitions lawyer because when a deal is live, you don't sleep in that job. Mm-hmm. But maybe you could be a family lawyer, you know, or or doctors. It's like, maybe you're meant to be a doctor, but you're not meant to have that crazy schedule. Then maybe you're meant to be a dermatologist with like a nine to five. So uh, how you do your job and what your core values are, I think is something that is really a filtering system once you start looking at options that align with your core skill set. And I think that kind of filtering comes from having conversations with people. And, you know, you got to be careful not to buy into everything people say, say they're their own experience that they're having. You don't want it to tarnish your curiosity. Uh, You just want to collect the information. But if you think you want to be in some certain role and you talk to somebody doing it and they like it or they don't, just take what you're interested in hearing and keep researching, keep having conversations and learn about different companies. Because being a coder at one company is going to be different than being coder at a different one. It's the same skill set, but it's a different backdrop. And that could really um, have a different culture that lines up with your core values even more. Yeah, that how is such a, because you think of the corporate culture is so much more, it's everything. Like you might yeah. find a job that you love that has, that harnesses the skills and the passions and all the things. But you're right. If your manager sucks, if the culture is all about micromanagement, uh, and one of your core values is freedom, you know, which I would argue that any culture that has micromanagement is toxic and likely going to lead to, uh, you know, unless it's necessary for the actual work, uh, is likely going to lead to people leaving and employees yeah. feeling sick and all those types of things. So really taking into account, like I got the job and I don't love it. Is it because of the actual responsibilities I have or is it because of the values of the corporation? And A lot of us, you know, like you might find your dream job, but it's with a company that treats the planet like shit. And one of your core values is nature, you know, being immersed in nature or, uh, yeah. So that's important to take note of because I think you're right. Often we can be dissuaded or or, uh, saddened by the lack of alignment in a job, but it's really about the corporation or the workplace or whatever. Yeah, you're really pointing to something that I think is at the crux of when people come into a course or my practice or whatever, is that they are having all these feelings and they don't know how to process them. And the first place I go is, what's your nature? What's your core nature? What's your core skill set? Are you using that skill set in your job? Have you exhausted growth to be in that skill set? Because every job is kind of folding into the next place you're going to go and the next version of you anyway. And so it's like, how bad is your boss? How toxic is is it for you? Because if somebody is growing their skill set radically and and it's a really good responsibility, um, I like to kind of knock on different doors before they actually change jobs because there is a sanctity to having a job that is honing the skills you want to have. Um, and you need to take care of yourself. So it's it's a very fine line. But if people right now who are listening can ask themselves, do I really not like my job or do I just not like the person I'm working for? Um, that's a really big deal to get from the what and the how, getting that clarity. Yeah, it is amazing how some people get promoted into management positions and some people make it into tops of organizations. But when the organization itself has values that they promote in leadership, that's what's going to happen. Like I remember the company I used to work for was Swiss, you know, so they're like very militant. And, you know, we used to joke that it was a company run by bankers, a pharmaceutical company run by bankers, because it really was very tight in all the things. I remember there was a manager that operated, not a direct manager, who 
I could not trust. I he was just so snaky. Yeah. And you sort of saw like all the people who had promoted him, you know, it was like uh you know when someone promotes someone because they don't want to deal with them anymore? Yeah. Well, that doesn't work cuz you just move them up the chain. It's so bad. But yeah, like the, the government. <laughs> right. It's like I don't want to manage them. I'll move them over here. Yeah, exactly. Because it's too hard to let them go. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Nobody in the government really gets fired. They just get reassigned. It's really, it's crazy. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast. I'm sure. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm just going to cry on that podcast and have like trauma. Memory. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, what a way to start your career at the Pentagon, you know, yeah. but, but, you know, as, as all things that are painful, you know, they uh, uh, do bring about something within us that has cultivated your passion and moved your life in the direction that it is today so that we can have these types of conversations. So I'm really grateful that you've been through what you've been through, not to dismiss the that experience because, oh my gosh, I couldn't imagine hearing something like that. Yeah, it's interesting. I used to go to this military base that used to be a psych ward in the 80s. And so it literally was like in Indiana, the hills have eyes, energy, in this military base and it would be like the thick of winter and I was there for like weeks on end with uh, a bunch of people who were from Afghanistan helping train people who were deploying and it's interesting because looking back I'm so lucky that I failed fast like I went to the top of the chain I, I got my dream just like you got your bronco like different dream but same realization like and I think that far too often people are beating themselves up for things they're not good at I could easily have looked at my job and all of the coordinating I needed to do, all of the analysis I needed to do, all those two core skill sets were so not for me. Mm. And I could have looked at that job and made it mean something about me. And that's the art of personal development, right? To look at something and, and to separate yourself from what it is. And, and so for me, I'm so grateful that I was able to, you know, maybe I internalized some of that, but as I started my business and really made an impact in the way I'm supposed to, it really set me free to realize like people need to start celebrating when where they are isn't for them and what they're doing isn't for them. It means nothing about you. Like we're all a bunch of little snowflakes. We're so different. Like, why are you being hard on yourself for not being, you know, if you're in a writer job and you suck at writing, like amazing, go look at a different core skill set, you know, and job craft so you can do something else before you go and put it on your resume. That's so beautiful. Yeah, I agree with that. That's such a it's such a gift to know when something doesn't work. It's such a gift to know when something's not aligned. Uh it, to separate self from the experience is so important. That's the yeah. hardest work, you know, cuz we're taught that our value is placed in what we do and uh what you know, our worth lives in our relationship status. If no one's choosing you, then you're not worthy of being chosen like but that truth too of of our work is so important in our life. And I think, you know, when we think about that concept of like work-life balance, I always think like, well, that's this idea that there's a trade-off. Like if you uh, are too, because I'm sure if you lost your job and you were home all the time, your partner would be pretty annoyed by you, right? Like yeah. that makes sense. And if you were all at work, you'd, you'd have no contribution at home. And yeah. I think it's more about, does your relationship give you energy? Does your work give you energy? You know, are they giving to you or are they taking it? And that doesn't mean you just leave them. It means you explore and you get curious and you ask questions. And I'm so happy that we've had this conversation to enable people to ask questions. And I, I would imagine everyone's like, okay, that's all great. I got 10 skill sets. Let's do it. Where do I find this book so I can finish this project and get my dream career slash all the things? 
we'll all be sending you a book from me. But anybody else who wants to get a copy, you can go to uturnbook.com. It's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N book.com. So you can make a U-turn and get back home to yourself. That's so beautiful. Ashley, where do they find more of you? I'm on the gram. I'm trying to be good at it. I mean, obviously I could follow. Trying to be good at it. (laughs) Yeah, I am. It's just not, I'm I'm a writer and I write when I feel. And so it's like, I give, I give a random post when I have feelings. So if you see me feeling a lot that day, Uh um, so you can find me at Ashley Stahl. It's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L on the gram. Perfect. Ashley, thanks so much for your gifts, for sharing them with the world and for being here today. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Thanks to everybody for listening. And I hope that this helps whoever it's meant to today. Yeah, what a great book. Go pick it up. And uh, I think it's important to say it's not just for entrepreneurs. It's to pivot in the workplace. It's to do all the things. Yeah, it's really geared for the workforce. And it's just valuable for entrepreneurs as well, I think, because there's so much about core skills and all these reflections that I think people can take with them. Perfect. And if you're unsure, like the job you're in and you're not sure what to do, is it that the ideal? That's the one. Yeah. If you don't know what a lot of people. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, 71% of the workforce is job hunting. And I usually think it's because they just don't know what they want to do next. So it's for you. So find out what you want so you can find it. Okay, perfect. All right. So go get that book. Ashley, thank you.